and welcome back to another episode of the Under Pressure podcast, where everyone's under pressure. The state of Victoria is crippling to COVID-19. Steel side bottom has crippled and broken AFL protocols, and his president is standing directly behind his man. Hubs the state of the game, Zach Merritt and the AFL MRO are our huge discussion moments as all of them have faced pressure over the last few days. Joining me, as he always does, is a very happy Geelong supporter, Jake Barker. Welcome back. Thanks, Matt. Yes, I am a very happy Geelong supporter. I know Matt and I sat down and watched the Geelong and Melbourne game the other week, last weekend, and uh, can, tell, can tell you something, Matt gets very nervous when he's watching his team, so... <laughs> <laughs> very excited. Very excited. I'm not saying this because Melbourne lost, but boy, it's two hours of my life. I'm never getting back. It was boring, horrible, uninspiring footy. Four goals and a half of footy is just not what any of us want to see. And we're actually going to get to that a little bit later. But we start off with the uh, the big footy story of the week. Steel Sidebottom, who has just received a four-week ban for breaching COVID rules and his president has said on another day this could get another penalty but right now the AFL, I'm paraphrasing here it's convenient for the AFL to be harsh and give the four weeks I'm in the camp that this punishment was probably not hard enough but it was the bare minimum for the AFL to save face what do you think Jake I, I think in terms of weeks, in terms of weeks that Steel Sidebottom got, I think that's enough. But I can understand that you don't think it's enough in, in as a whole for the Collingwood yeah, Football Club. No. no, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think four weeks is about right. I compare it to Lockie Hunter, who also breached COVID rules and also had police involvement. I sort of see them as similar incidents while the COVID regulations are a little bit stricter now than they were back a couple of months. And the police, I feel like they sort of, the COVID was um, regulations are tighter now, so it's higher, but the police involvement was lower. So I actually sort of, I know you can't compare apples and oranges, but it sits comfortably, comfortably with me as four weeks for the player. However, I, I feel like Collingwood needed to be penalised in a way. We're not talking about a first, second or third year player here. We're talking about the vice captain of the football club. And we're also you've also got Lyndon Dunn, who used to be the vice captain at Melbourne and has been in Collingwood's leadership group. These guys know better. These guys are the leaders of that football club. And young players look at them for as role models and... They've breached COVID rules. I, I would have given Collingwood uh, a suspended four premiership points, meaning if they stuff up again down the track with COVID rules, there's four points gone. They don't lose it now, stuff up again, you lose the points. And who knows, it could be then you get another four premiership points suspended, making an eight premiership point loss. I don't know, but I feel like the club hasn't been penalised enough here. Yeah, so you feel like they should have got possibly a, war, a, a, a mark against their name and a warning that if this happens again, then you're going to lose premiership points. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because the AFL threatened um, a few months back 
you break COVID rules, we could deregister you as a player. And personally, I think this is the farthest you can go with um, punish, as far as you can go and not be deregistered. I, I, I don't see the AFL deregistering steel side bottom, but it's he's right on that line. Go, go a step further and he could have been in a world of trouble. And the AFL have, if, if he could have costed the AFL the season here and cost $600 million. And I actually feel for the um, local footballers who want to play football and they're behaving, they're following all the regulations that are set in front of them. And then you've got these players like Sidebottom who have broken the rules. They can't play. And these sort of moves sort of are a salt in the wounds of their footy passion because the local footballers aren't allowed to play. And the ones at the top level can and are stuffing up that opportunity. Yeah, no, it's 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 disappointing. And especially because they're, they're such veteran players. And if, if they were younger players, like I know a couple of Melbourne players did it, but they were like, they were younger. But these are two very experienced guys. And as you said, one is a vice captain, one was a vice captain at a previous club. It's just, yeah, it's, it's pretty disappointing, actually. And, and, and not only that, I saw those first round suspensions as, hey, these are warning shots. You break the rules, you miss a week. It's a few weeks since then, the warning shot's been fired. A severe penalty, regardless, should have happened. And obviously, Sidebottom seriously breached the rules this time. But the bit that angers me most of all about this Steel Sidebottom saga has actually got to do with his club president, Eddie Maguire. And as a Geelong supporter, I'm sure you remember a few weeks ago, he was saying, Geelong need to come out, tell the full story about Steel uh, still, um over um, Jack Stephen. Tell the full story. And this same president, you feel like it's hiding something and not being fully out front. He's, in his comments on AFL 360 and Footy Classified on Wednesday night, he was laying off some of them as almost jokes. And I know Eddie understands the severity of what's happened, but you can't have it both ways, Eddie. You can't say, I want the full story. I want to know every detail. And then two weeks later or three weeks later, whatever it is, go, what do you say again? I've written it down. Um, it's the old fashioned, was asleep on the couch and got up to go to the bathroom and walked out the wrong door. At this point in time, um, Sidebottom was half naked, thought he was off to the bathroom, went out the front door on the, and was a bit lost with where he was after a big night and was half naked on the street. Have you done that, Jake? Because I sure haven't. No, and I, I, I don't think it's the majority of people. So I think he's gone a little bit too far with that, that analogy. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty bad like, thing, and thing to say. And he also went on to say, and this is where I, I think Eddie has really lost the moral high ground. It has, it has happened to it has happened plenty of times to a lot of big names. It has happened to someone at the Logies not that long ago, and a very famous AFL person on a state trip. That's what happened. He was totally disoriented on the grog. 
yeah, it, 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 it's so strange. Like, I'm surprised Annie would say something like that, to be honest. And the other bit is, I'm still Sidebottom's record up until now has almost been faultless. Yeah. But this has. isn't... This, and I understand you don't want to penalise someone on one mistake, but there's a difference between a mistake and what he's done today. If he did it and he just broke, went to Daniel Wells' house and wasn't drunk, maybe a week or two weeks would have sufficed. But personally, I think Sidebottom should lose the vice-captaincy at Collingwood. You, 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 and you, it's not a good look for your vice-captain to be collected in a divvy van and driven home half-naked. That's not a look you want for your your club, regardless of the, if it's a vice-captain, captain, president, or any player on the list. Yeah, no, exactly right. I think because everyone, as soon as he goes out in the street, you're going to have at least somebody know who you are. He's a well-recognised person. He's been in the system for 12 years, I think it is. And it's just disappointing, I think. And yes, the police have said he was an absolute pleasure to deal with and there was no issues there. But he still got picked up by a divvy van at 7.30 in the morning, half naked on a Sunday morning, where I can honestly say, because I played golf that morning, it was bloody cold. It was two degrees, according to my car in the morning. It was cold. Uh, It just beggars belief of an AFL vice-captain who is considered one of the best leaders in the competition would do something like that and have a president still back him in as vice captain. Yeah. And I know there's, there's obviously been, there's been a lot of things happen at Collingwood through the years. Like I don't, I'm not going to go through them all, but yeah, there's been so many. And the other thing I have to ask you, Jake is he's obviously had a few drinks he had a few scotches, which he doesn't normally drink, Eddie um, revealed. But a p- portion of the night is blacked out of his mind. What sort of cl- club allows someone to get so drunk that they black out for a portion of the night mid-season? Well, is this going to be a cultural? Is this going to be a cultural problem where we're going to look back after the grand final and go, if Collingwood just stayed off the beers and off the drinks and didn't have players? have benders, they could have won the flag. Is this that, that where we're going to be at the end of the year? Uh, if they do is make it, it then, is... if they do make it to the end there, then it, it could come up for sure. But obviously we don't know the extent of, we only know that it was himself and Lyndon Dunn who had a couple of, who had a couple of drinks. We don't know of anything. And, um, Jeremy Howe did, but he stayed at his residence. And then there, the word, the, What's being reported is more drinks happened when he, um, when um, Pendle, uh, not Pendlebury, um, he wouldn't do this, just putting it out there. Um, side bottom, then got in an Uber, which he's not allowed to do, went to Daniel Wells' house, who's a Collingwood employee who he's not allowed to see because he's out of the bubble, and then had more drinks there, and then somehow ended up 7.30 in the morning, half naked in Williamstown. Yeah, and then he's managed to break... I think it was possibly three or four if breach breaches, and yeah. that, that's what's cost. That's what's given him the four weeks, and I think that's it, it's probably. And Collingwood are not answer- And the portion from him leaving Daniel Wells's house and him waking up at twelve uh, seven thirty in the morning, that part of the story is still not clear to the public. Whether Collingwood and the AFL are not trying to 
draw a light to that. I don't know. But there's still legs to this story at this point in time. And there's still further that this could go. I think from what we know, the punishment for the player was about right. I just think Collingwood as a club should have received a bit more of a penalty. Yeah, no, definitely. I think they definitely should have had a mark against the name or anything. But yeah, I think it's this is going to be one of those stories that I don't know if we'll ever find out what happened what happened between those that twelve to seven thirty period or or whenever he got to Daniel Wells. So I think it's just going to be one of those things that we're going to have to put mm. to bed now. And if it comes out in a few years' time, then we'll know it then. But I don't think we're going to find out anytime soon. It's just they're just going to roll re- with what happens now. And the reality, he now misses a quarter of the season. Um, Ed, Eddie McGuire also said on um, Footy Classified that he will be flying to Perth, to the Perth Hub in a couple of weeks uh, for that. Which brings us on to the topic of hubs. I feel for the players. I feel for the West Coast and Fremantle, Port Adelaide and Adelaide players who have had to pick up their feet and be based in another state. I have a huge amount of sympathy for them, but it's now the Victorian club's turn to do the same. The guy that does the fixture said yesterday on SEN, have a bag packed at the store and get ready to go because you'll find out soon where you're going. Yeah, I heard that exact same. I heard that exact same story on on SEN earlier. Yeah, Travis Travis Old is his name. Yeah, um, and um, yeah, I, I to be honest, I feel for the players. However, I have no problem with any player who says no. I, I need to stay at home for family because of a sick relative, or a newborn child, or a baby that's about to come. We're seeing Joe Root in the UK, the England cricket captain, stepping aside from the, uh, the first test against the West Indies for the birth of his second child. Strongly applaud that action. But we shouldn't attack any player that says, no, I need to be here with my family, particularly given where Victoria is. They're on the, the cusp of a second wave. And I, I seriously do feel for the players here. They've got some tough decisions to make. Um, Jack Miney's one player who's just had a child over the last week. And I would have no problem, even as the Melbourne vice captain saying, I need to be home with my, ch- my child at the moment. Yeah. And especially, as you said, those with young families and those with big families as well, like you got some older players in, in the, uh, in the league, like Sean Burgoyne has a family, Eddie Betts has a family, like you'd forgive them for, for not wanting to go and mm. be there with their families. Just thought I'd clarify, we're not saying any of these players will miss out. We're just saying we could understand hypothetically if they didn't play. Tim Kelly, um, probably the most notable um, player regarding families who's been in a hub, encourages every single player to take a family, if they need to, to a hub. Um, And that that is a great thing. We all know about Tim Kelly's struggles at Geelong over the last few years. And, um, like, it's great that he said, take your families. It's a good environment. But there were some players today that were told at 2 o'clock this afternoon, you have to be out of your house by midnight tonight. Otherwise, you could potentially not go to New South Wales because of hotspot regulations with some postcodes in Victoria going into lockdown. Yeah, and I know know for a fact that Tim Kelly is an avid supporter of taking your family and whatnot. It's just interesting that we haven't heard 
we haven't heard this staying at home and not playing until it's the Victorian club's turn to move. Notice how the interstate teams just went yeah. and did it. How the Victorian clubs are now, they're voicing their opinions. They're, they're bringing this out and the interstate teams didn't. I just find yeah, that really I, strange. The only difference I have with it is Victoria is in a completely different state of emergency than these other states. And like, that's the only argument I have that, hey, Victoria's in crisis. The, um, the house, the state's on fire. And while I think the majority will go, I would have no problem if a couple of players said, I need to be with my family, given where Victoria is at and where it could be going. Yeah, and I think it, I think it will happen. I think you'll see a couple of players stay home, whether that be for a couple of weeks. They're, they're not they're not in the hub for the rest of the year. They're they're hubbing for a couple of weeks. But if if mm. they feel I, feel the need to take a couple of weeks off, then that's their prerogative. The other thing is, um, the hub model now has been sold a little bit differently to the other clubs who have been hubbing in Queensland. These could potentially be indefinite hubs. It's not like, you know, you're going there for five weeks, you're going to be back in five weeks' time. This is, it could be three weeks, it could be eight weeks, it could be ten weeks, it could be the rest of the season. We just don't know at this point in time. And that's another point where you can sort of have a bit of sympathy for the players. Yeah, no, now, definitely. I, I didn't put this on your run on the, today's rundown, Jake, but uh, who would you rather be? Richmond? Or West Coast. Well, personally, I know we had, we did have the. You did ask me this earlier in the week, actually, and I was pretty adamant that I would, I would much rather it be Adam Simpson and the West Coast Eagles at the moment. Going into, going yeah. back home, going to be home for possibly, um, a guesstimate would be about a month, a month and a half, possibly. They're saying nine. Longer. They're saying potentially nine weeks. Yeah. Well, there you go. So. I wouldn't be worried if I was a West Coast Eagles supporter just yet. I think it'll be, I think it'll be really good. I think in a couple of weeks they're going to have sixty thousand fans at a game. I think that'll change change it a bit. And I think the West Coast Eagles have a little bit more to work with than what Richmond do at this point in time. I know Richmond are a very good team. They've got a lot of good players. But if I'd rather be in someone's shoes right now, it's probably the West Coast Eagles. They've got. They've got a good run coming up and they do have a good team. They just need to gel, gel together, get back home. They were the first to go to the hub and it was difficult, but now they're heading back home and I reckon they'll be all right. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment um, on West Coast um, for the next couple of weeks. Personally, um, I think that they need to win one in the hub and then get back to Perth and see where they're at. They need to win one of their next two games in Queensland. But I also think I want to see them in Perth. And we're only going to really need to see one, maybe two games to see if they are the real deal again. But I'm just unsure there. List is getting a little bit older. Um, And it's the same with Richmond. I think maybe they're just a little bit older. There've been moments where they've looked disinterested. Um, West Coast, and that to me is a huge concern. I, 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 I'm personally probably still in the, uh, the Richmond camp. I'd rather be Damien Hardwick, but I can definitely understand why you say West Coast. Uh, West Coast. I just 
I'm a bit unsure at the moment. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. I mean, I guess they've got they've got some really good chances in the next couple of weeks, even in the hub. They're playing Sydney. Obviously not in Perth, but they're not playing them in Sydney. They're playing them at Metricon. And then they've got Adelaide the week after at the Gabba. So that's another really good opportunity as well. So they could they could snag two wins to finish the hub, in my opinion. Yeah. I'll probably be tipping them in both of those games. So I reckon yeah, that's just yeah, that's just my opinion, obviously. But um, I'd be, I'm, I'm, I, I'm at the moment leaning towards Sydney, and I'll definitely tip them against the Crows. But as I said in the intro, the Geelong Melbourne game this weekend was, as we both described it, almost unwatchable. It was shocking, and there's obviously bigger issues in front of the AFL. Well, actually, the state of the game is a huge issue. But there's other issues taking their focus, such as the continuation of the season at the moment. But I'm actually a bit disappointed in the AFL. We've said for the last two, three years, the state of the game is is a concern. They've made, obviously, the 666 uh, six, six, six rule. But they haven't made many other changes other than that. And the game looks shocking. It does. It looks it looks stagnant, and and they, obviously we were watching the game la, on last Sunday, and it was it was that was terrible. It was two three fifteen to two two fourteen at, at half time. Like that's just not that's not what you want to see in an AFL game. Like we're having full time scores that should be at least half time scores at the moment. It's just really stagnant. They need to keep it flowing. They need they need to work out a way to make the game more free flowing rather than. Yeah this stop-start sort of business. And we've got three teams who have just said, let's take the game off. And it's no surprise that those three teams are doing quite well. Port Adelaide are starting to look like, oh, these guys could actually win it. Brisbane, who are like, they haven't done a Melbourne this year and they're continuing their charge. And you've got Gold Coast led superbly with midfield dominance by Matty Rao, who... He's putting a legitimate case of the Brownlow at the moment in his in his first year. Uh, potentially three three vote games, uh, first place since uh, uh, Jack Kennedy, to, no Josh Kennedy, to get a uh, three ten perfect ten point coach associations game since two thousand and twelve. This is by a first year player. But that's unreal. But that's not the point I'm making right now. Those three teams are making an absolute brilliant game and I want to watch it. The Brisbane, nothing excites me more about this weekend's game of footy than Port Adelaide Brisbane on Saturday night. Yeah, it's going to be a great game. They're both playing really good football. I know well, Port's obviously 4-4 four four this year and they're look, looking the goods. They have really the, the most dominating looking forward, key forward this season. No other f- tall forwards really looked anything else but Charlie Dixon. He's been he's been killing it. He's leading the Coleman now after the bag of I think it was six on the weekend against. Yeah, yeah. So I think they're they're looking powerful. They've got a good spine. Um, Scott Lysett in the middle. A um, couple of young guys down the forward line. But yeah, I think it's going to be a, a ripping game and definitely one I'll be watching for sure. Yeah, and you look at Brisbane, they scored 10-21 on the weekend. Imagine what we'd be saying if they got 21-10. Imagine how different this conversation with Brisbane would be if, um, 
Lockie Neal kicked six goals instead of six behinds. Um, but they're both playing exciting brands of footy and it does show it, it can be done. But you look at you look at what a judge is coached on, uh, judged on. They're judged on wins and losses. They know that their performance indicators ultimately come down to you having more wins than you do losses. So if you can control the game all day and it'd be boring as hell, the coach has done his job. And that's that's the problem at the moment with the game, in a nutshell. Yeah, and I feel like um, when watching the game last week, sorry to use the Geelong-Melbourne game again as an example, but Geelong played very conservative football on the weekend for the first time. Like, they don't... I noticed the game plan was very chip it around until you find enough someone else to go forward. They, they weren't willing to move the ball forward and kick it kick it long, kick, keep it moving forward. They wanted to hold on to the ball and then that obviously limits scores and whatnot. But that's the first time I've seen us play like that in a long time and it only only just got us the win. And But it just wasn't pretty. But we did what we needed to do to get the win, I guess. And the other issue that I had with that game is, let's just flip the coin. Melbourne wins the game in that if um, Tomlinson kicks a goal in that last minute or two. The storyline is Geelong controlled the game all day. They didn't look to score as heavily as they normally do. What happens if Melbourne win that? Chris Scott goes into the press conference and says, oh, we lost that one, boys, but we controlled the game for the entire game, but we lost the game. Yeah, and and that's and that that's exactly right. If if we if Geelong end up losing that game, that this one of the headlines is they were too conservative with the football. They should have they should have kept it moving. Should have tried to keep scoring to then make it a too big a margin for Melbourne to come back. And it almost happened. So, oh, yeah, it was just it was not a fun game to watch and. You look back at it now and you think, if Melbourne win that, Geelong, Geelong played too conservatively. And there were, Melbourne didn't play that great. Geelong should have run away with that game, but they chose not to. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, um, the other issue that um, I have with the weekend is Zach Merritt. He got a one-week ban for his bump or... Love sort of punch to Love tap, that's the word, on on um, young Silvani. How did that sit with you? Three weeks? Well, I know everyone was... Talk- oh, one week. Sorry, one, one week. One week. Sorry, I've said the amount of weeks I think he should have got. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, he got the week. Um, it's, it, it's, it's really... It's, it's probably a really hard one to decipher. I mean, obviously the punch wasn't hard, but it was a closed fist punch and it did do damage. But it's really difficult for people to look at this because it was so soft and innocuous. I don't know if I agree with one week. I know I said that to begin with because of what happened, but maybe they should have lent, lent more to the middle and then not as many people are talking about it because if it's one week, then all the people who thought it was going to be three weeks now have something huge to talk about. And then all the people who thought it was going to, if it was three weeks, then all the people with one week 
start talking about, oh, that's too much. Where if they maybe just planted it in the middle, you read they've got everyone talking about it or no one talking about it. So if I you think put it in, I'm, I'm just going to play devil advocate here. If you put it in the middle, everyone's unhappy. Or, or they're, they're willing to give a little. Yeah, I was just playing devil advocate there. For me, he was clearly not going for the tackle in the end. He was too far behind it. So he clenched his fist and he hit it. You can't have people clenching their fist and hitting another player. Yes, it might, was a love tap. Yes, he got a sweet spot. But the reality is, Silvani's got a bruised lung and a broken ribbon couldn't play any further part in the game. To me, that... That, that is intentional, reckless, and severe contact. That's, that's a three-week three week suspension in my mind. I think Merritt is incredibly lucky. Yeah, no, I, it, it, is, it is obviously a contra- controversial one. And I, I did want to get this out to, to, all the, to, list, to the listeners that um, Jack did end up actually tweeting out his thoughts of what actually happened in the game. And what he said was, shame to see Zach get a week. Incidents like that happen 20 to 30 times a game. He hit a sweet spot and and the outcome is just unlucky. No malicious intent whatsoever. That says a lot coming from the player who, who got injured and didn't play the rest of the game. And it was at the very beginning. Yeah, no, no, no. I do. And well done to um, Jack Silvani. But, but Silvani can't really say anything. Now, a full credit to him, wonderful young player, deserves a lot for what he just said, but he, he couldn't really say much. Merritt does deserve this support because it wasn't intentional. Or not, the, the effect wasn't intentional. The result to love tapping, yes, that's intentional. The outcome of injury wasn't. Bit like Andrew Gaff a couple of years on um, Andrew Brayshaw or Hamish Brayshaw. I've got the two WA Brayshaws mixed up, but um, Gaff did not try to uh, break his jaw. The reality he did, and he got six weeks. I think Merritt should have got three. I think he was very lucky. I think that's very the apples other... and oranges of that one. That one's very. Uh, yes, but the reality, but the yes, it is apples and oranges. But neither one chose to cause injury. Both had a clenched fist. They're despicable. Any time that you clench your fist in AFL, it, it should be a week. And the outcome of the injury should then be determined if it's, if it's a severe injury like this one. The, the penalty goes up. We don't want this look in our game. The game is already, as we've just discussed, ugly enough before you have people with clenched fists hitting people. Yeah. No, I, I get that. And obviously, yeah, they've stated this whole week that a closed fist is a closed fist, no matter how hard or how soft you hit someone. So, there you so, go. Um, the dang- uh, so, two weeks ago, the Dandridge... Can't get my words out today. Two weeks ago, they uh, we saw the Sh- uh, Sean Burgoyne uh, dangerous tackle on Patrick Dangerfield. It got a $1,000 fine. And then on the weekend, we saw another dangerous tackle that involved 
Uh, Riley O'Brien um, tackling uh, Jared Lyons. To me, it's a very similar tackle. They've changed the rule, but yet he still gets a $1,000 fine. I still don't understand why this wasn't a one-week penalty. I can understand why it's not a one-week penalty. They changed the rule to get this exact act out of the game, and then they still give him a $1,000 fine. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, so I, 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 I am, I'm on your side, but I, I know... I. The reason why is that it didn't happen with Sean Burgoyne. For the, they're not going to give a week to a guy that has had that does the same tackle as Sean Burgoyne. If they give Sean they, Burgoyne a week, then they would have given Riley O'Brien a week. But the AFL have since, since that tackle, have changed the rules for this exact incident. Why not apply the new rule, which was brought in because of this problem, to fix it moving forward? That's the issue I have. Yeah, so they're going to have this problem for the rest of the season. No, 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 they shouldn't. They've changed the rule. The AFL have changed the rule. Every player knows how to abide by them. I'd be very surprised if they do it. It's going to happen again, Jake. It's going to happen this weekend. It's going to be a dangerous tackle and the player's going to get a one-week ban. And the question is, why wasn't it applied to Riley O'Brien? Yeah, and that's what they're worried about. That's what I'm saying. No, but there, there would be no argument if O'Brien got suspended because they changed the rules since um, Burgoyne. Don't change the rule if you're not going to enforce it on later on. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. I think the MRO had a, a pretty ordinary week. But let's get our head out of footy because I've been a bit angry with footy this week. I've been a probably not been the greatest guy to listen to. And let's talk some positive positivity with Jake and the NBL. Yes. So I thought I'd, uh, so obviously Matt and I have, have our sports that we, that we, that we love and like watching and covering and sharing with you, with you all. And obviously we, we like bringing you all the under pressure moments and things as we did just then with the AFL, but we do like to, inform you all of some of the positive things that happen in sports as well and all the good things that are happening, hopefully post post this uh, pandemic. So last week I did take a look at the Suncorp Super Netball, which is uh, still in very much a hot debate again this week. But as Matt said, I'm going to take take a dive into the NBL this week and there's a few positive things that have that have come out the of the NBL. So... Earlier this week, I believe, just after we recorded last week's podcast, I believe, um, which is always the case, but we can chat about it now, so that's good. Um, the So the league has been, previous to last week, the league has been working with a whole bunch of stakeholders and all the clubs um, to lay a plan out for the 2021 season because obviously it's going to be different. We all know that. Uh, they did obviously have to talk to the Australian Basketball Players Association along with uh, relevant government authorities to work out plans as obviously the current climate will likely still be in place then and we'll have to uh, work out what we can do with that. And obviously they've talked to the NBL 
medical officers as well, as well in regards to this upcoming season. So the season was, was released to the public last week and it's, it's a very, I think it's a very, I don't know what the word is. The date is the 3rd of December. I don't know if it's going to be, they've put it, they wanted to put a date out there and let everyone know that this is when we're thinking about starting. They're looking at finishing in mid to late April. So that's really good. Uh, I know we talked about this last week when I was discussing netball, but the starting point for this upcoming season, I think is really good for the NBL because um, it doesn't have a lot of competition, a lot of sports to compete with um, as it's starting at the beginning of December. It's definitely beneficial to start the NBL on its own. Um, obviously having the whole sporting viewership on them uh, and hopefully, obviously, once the, the BBL and the Australian summer start in late December, um, they've been able to create and develop a bit of interest in those who wouldn't usually watch and build their views even further as it's been growing as a sport over the last five years, that's for sure. The, the other thing, the mid to late April finish is an interesting one. But I think it will work as the AFL would have started maybe a month before before that. So by the time the NBL finals come around, we'll be about around round three or four. So the excitement of the first couple of AFL rounds will be gone and it'll just be the regular season. And I think the, the NBL finals will get a good viewership from that. The A-League a few years yeah, yeah. Just adding on to that, the A League a few years ago have experimented their season starting after the football and then finishing with their finals during the AFL start first few rounds of the AFL season, and then vice versa starting the season during the footy finals and then finishing with the finals before the start of the AFL season. And it, the general consensus was it was better to have the clear air at the start build some momentum and then you should still retain the viewers when it comes to finals. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what they've done here. And I think it's, it's going to be really, really good, really good for the league and it, it'll, it'll only benefit the league. I'm sure. Uh, the, um, so since that announcement, um, the commissioner, um, Jeremy Laliga, for those of you who don't know, because the start, because, because the season's obviously starting later, the free agency period, for for all clubs now begins on July 15. So, which actually looms to be very interesting times for players and clubs due to the current climate. So it'll be interesting to see who goes where and, and who's willing to come down to Australia as, as imports and whatnot. So that'll be really interesting to see. Moving on to some, some ownership news. Um, very early on in our in our podcast, we were talking about how the Illawarra Hawks uh, went into administration. Uh, last week, it was announced that they had now have three new owners, both from local and overseas investors to lead the club. So the three, the, uh, the three men who are now leading the Illawarra Hawks are actually a former co-owner of the Sydney Kings, uh, Dori Kordahi. I don't know if I said that right, so apologies. Uh, a prominent NBA executive, actually, Brian Colangelo. I know a few people might know and know him if uh, they're well versed in the the league that is the NBA, and also a US businessman, 
and a basketball influencer, uh, Michael Proctor. So it's very good to see that the a club that has uh, that has been around since the very beginning has has found some new owners, new ownership, and we'll, we will see them in season twenty twenty one. I did want to mention they did say in in this article that they they did want to mention a little thing to uh, Lamelo Ball. They they addressed him, and I'm just trying to look for it at the moment. So the decision in choosing the right owners was not an easy one, and I wanted to acknowledge and thank all of those who were part of the process undertaken. I would like, in particular, to thank Lamelo Ball and his organisation and his organisation for the support and interest shown in wanting to achieve the best outcome for the team that has helped him have a chance at being the number one draft pick, which definitely has. We can all agree with that. So that that's still... And then they went on to say, we hope we can explore future opportunities with Lamelo and wish him all the best for the upcoming draft. So even though he didn't get it, it's still given him a good relationship and hopefully, possibly, future, future things in years to come for, for him and the NBL. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him or his team owning a NBL club in the future. So that's good news for the Illawarra Hawks. Now, moving on again, we go to the Illawarra Hawks. Funnily enough, this NBL segment's a bit about the Illawarra Hawks. So, excitingly, all the old NBL fans will know this name. Master coach Brian Gorgian has come back to the NBL. He has been, he has won six NBL championships, started with uh, the Southeast Melbourne Magic. For those of you who remember them, Sydney Kings and my beloved South Dragons who are in the last couple of years. Um, he's been around the NBL for 20 odd years and it's fantastic to see the uh, six time NBL coach of the year who also coached the Boomers as well from 2001 to 2009, I believe. Um, he's spent the last 11 years coaching in China. So it's good to see him come back and, I'm I'm glad I'm glad he's back in the league. He was he was a when I used to watch it as a young lad. You always knew who Brian Gorgian was, and it's it's great to see him back in the league. So it's a bit it's a bit like Paul Ruse coming back to coach Melbourne a few years a few years ago, just as a AFL comparison. Highly rated, credential, successful coach coming back after a few years to a struggling club. Yeah, exactly right, and it's going to be he, he's one of the all time all time greats. When you think of NBL coaches, you think of him, and I can't, can't wait to see him back on the court because he gets very heated sometimes. So it's gonna it's gonna be very funny. So I look forward to seeing him uh, back in Hawks colours this year for the first time. Yeah, it's uh, fasc- it's going to be a fascinating uh, NBL season. Um, but this weekend, Formula One is back, and to be honest, I can't wait. I very much missed my. Late Saturday and Sunday nights, uh, so very late in front of the TV watching some high talented racing. But to me, uh, one of the what, Mercedes, the reigning constructor champion since 2014, with world champion Lewis Hamilton, um, the sport's only ever, only ever six-time world champion, apart from Michael Schumacher, is seven and the only person of colour. Um, to race in Formula One. 
they've decided that they'll be racing with a black Mercedes. So if you look, remember the Mercedes car, which is an iconic design, imagine all the silver bits being removed and being replaced with black. It sends a very, very powerful message. The statement and how the team feels is absolutely incredible. Uh, Formula One have also started a diversity program to promote uh, people of colour into uh, Formula One. But uh, the black car is going to be iconic and it's a wonderful thing for Lewis Hamilton to work with Mercedes with to get out going. And I can't wait to see it on track. I think it... I know this is a more serious issue, but I think the car looks better in black. It looks one of the best cars on the grid and that's just one of the many things I'm looking forward to seeing this weekend in Formula One where I am expecting to see in Matt's Formula One tip of the week, Max Verstappen win in Austria again. I think there's some a little bit of stuff happening with Red Bull at the moment and it's exciting, but I wouldn't be surprised if he takes the championship lead for the first time in his career this week. But we're going to finish off with something that I briefly mentioned earlier. And England have got a new acting test captain in Ben Stokes. If you asked anyone a couple of years ago if they thought that this was a possibility, the answer would have been no. He's probably going to be in jail. He's now been given the keys to the Ferrari, so to speak. How does this make you feel, Jake? I can see you shaking your head on the other side of this Zoom call. Oh, I just, I really can't, I can't believe it. He's gone from almost <laughs> not being allowed to play cricket at all to becoming test captain of, of England. Albeit, he has been, he has been very good since that, <laughs> since that incident. He, and I'm not denying that he's an amazing player. He's come a long way in, in his cricketing. If we just look at it solely, solely at his cricketing ability, he's definitely got got everything. And I reckon captaincy is an interesting thing. I don't I don't know if he, I don't know how many times he's actually captained a side before. I don't know if he's captain in ODIs or T20s, maybe for his I think he's county club or anything like that. Bit in like sort of the IPL T20 leagues. I think he's done a little bit there. I think. Don't hold me to that. Yeah, I'll just be very interested to see how he goes. I mean, I'm surprised they chose him. I thought they might have gone along the lines of maybe a Johnny Bairstow behind the stumps just for a test. I, I, don't, I don't think you can do that when Ben Stokes is your vice-captain. You have the vice-captain there for this exact situation. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I, but... It's it's a very tough tough choice to tough decision to have to make, but I guess they're going to roll with it and see how they go. I mean, it's the West Indies; they should they should win anyway. Um, for me, I'm I'm someone that I always believe that sporting has always got that opportunity for redemption, and I think he's earned the right for this redemption. I'm also going to say to me this this is obviously just a standing captaincy job. It's Nothing permanent, but I think it should be permanent. With respect to Joe Root, he's never been an aggressive 
captain has been a bit reserved. His batting form has dipped as captain. And to be honest, to me, this is the exact opposite or the exact same situation as it was with Australia when they sacked Mickey Arthur as coach for Darren Lehman weeks before the Ashes in 2013. And many England people were saying, this is the first time I fear Australia in a long time under the coaching of um, Darren Lehman. I fear England with Ben Stokes as captain. I fear them, which I don't have with Joe Root. With respect to Joe Root, he's a phenomenal cricketer, but I fear them more with Ben Stokes as captain. They look like they have a bit more... More mongrel oomph. about him, I guess, to use to use a strange term. Oh, I, I was going to say oomph, but yeah, mongrel would do it right. I, I think it's a decision that I'm really, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing him captain against the West Indies in a couple of weeks. I, I, I think you'll, I think you'll do a fine job. Obviously, with Joe Root out, he's as you mentioned having his second child, so he's got to be there for that. But it yet yeah, opens up the chance to. Just opens up the chance for England to give Ben Stokes a go to see who who will be the uh, successor of Joe Root in the future, albeit bar at their uh, both 29 years old. So I don't know if Ben Stokes will actually be taking over from Joe Root in the future. But you know, I think it's something, a good job. something. It's definitely something they can consider. And I don't need to remind everyone, but last uh, English summer it was the summer of Ben Stokes dominated the World Cup and I don't think any Australians forgotten the third test on that uh, innings he did to get England across the line. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again, that is the best innings I've seen by any cricketer in any moment anywhere in the world, regardless of it being a test match or a game of park cricket down the road. I think that's the best thing I've ever seen. But that will do us again for another episode on the Under Pressure podcast and we'll see you on the next.